0: This morning, we are going to. Is it me? I'm sorry. I've been doing so good too. Yeah, I know, right? I don't know, man. It's on. Not me. I'm not saying it's you. I'm just saying it's not me. <laughs> I can talk louder. All right. Can you hear me back there? Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. There's always that one guy. There he is. All right. So we're, uh, we're continuing our sermon series this morning called uh, If the Church Were Christian. And we are going to be looking at Luke, the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 10, And we're going to be reading verses 38 through the end of the chapter. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her (coughs) sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, Doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all the details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. May we be blessed this morning by the reading and the hearing of these words of Scripture. Let's now pray. morning Lord we thank you for this time, this place the people that we're gathered with we thank you for the opportunity to to join our voices together in prayer to share in each other's concerns we thank you for the opportunity to sing together to raise our voices in joy to share life together And now, together, we turn our attention to you and you alone. We pray that this morning, through our reading of the Scriptures and through our time spent contemplating and and questioning and considering what these words might mean for us today, that you might touch our hearts and that we might be transformed to be the people that you've called and created us to be. So this morning we pray that we once again experience you, your grace and your mercy, your love, your joy, your peace, your kindness, your justice, and your righteousness. We pray all these things in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So I I recently had a conversation with someone about the differences between relational and institutional forms of community. And One of the things that we talked about is that it might be a universal given, with with any institution, but eventually, what happens is institutions seem to forget the values that inspired their start from the very beginning. Like, it, it starts out; it'll start out as a relationship. Or sometimes, what'll happen is like, if okay, so I'm thinking back to my time in sales. And what you would do is you would identify a problem, right? You don't... Well, now I'm also thinking about my time in, in um, sales and marketing where sometimes you invented the problem, <laughs> right? But what you would do is you would identify a problem and then you would come up with a solution to the problem and then you would invite participation into becoming part of the solution. Does that make sense? All right, so... That, that begins to develop relationships. But then eventually, as the relationships and, and, the, and the participation begins to grow, you begin to create structure to it. You begin to um, be- develop hierarchy within it. And all of a sudden, you've lost sight of the purpose of why you all came. You lost sight of like, what you were trying to accomplish to begin with. You lose sight of the values that inspired the start, and, and what happens is, as an organization, you begin to focus instead on your own perpetuation. And so you've gone from this excited, we're going uh, to do this for the world, we're going to do this for our community, we're going to do this for people. And all of a sudden it's like, and we're doing this so that our institution will last forever. And I remember, um, man, this was, this was back when I was still in youth ministry. I wrote an article. Uh, by the way, this is another reason I shaved my head, because I like to do this when I think. Um, <laughs> and you do that, and you got all that hair, and it's like, whew. Um, Jordan has a picture of that, by the way, from being in the office. So so I remember uh, there was this town in Pennsylvania that back in the day was this, was this thriving community because of a factory. You, you remember those towns, right? Like, it all built up around a factory. And then what would happen is like that, that company would get big and then you would have these other companies that provided things for that one big company. right? And then the whole community begins to, to build up around it and you've got stores and you've got all these things. But it's all really because of that one big company. And this one town in Pennsylvania, what they, what they did is they, they were the very best manufacturer of buggy whips. They were the best. And you, do you know what happened? <laughs> Ford, right? Ford comes along and the town dried up. And I can just imagine them sitting there around the boardroom, right? And they're like, all right, has anybody heard of this thing called an automobile? And they're like, yeah, it's a fad, it won't last. All right, but it is affecting our sale of buggy whips. So what are we going to do? Right, and nobody said, well, let's see, we've got leather, we've got all these things. Maybe what we could do is we could start manufacturing seats. Right, it, no, it wasn't that. It became, what if instead of just black ones, we had brown ones too? Right, because it became all just about the buggy whip in the company. And so eventually... It died, and in this article that I I wrote many years ago, I wrote, I believe firmly that God will allow institutions to die, but the church will continue. Somewhere along the lines, I am concerned that we have become too concerned about sustaining the institution rather than remembering what brought us together to begin with. What caused these people in the Middle East, in this little, really tiny area, to decide that there was something about Jesus that meant so much to people's lives that it was worth telling other people about? That's what it started with. There's an opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. You don't want to miss out on it. And then we became an institution. And then we became multiple institutions, all competing with one another. And to be honest, right, there are times that I have let institutional functions and dysfunctions, by the way, trump the church's mission and purpose. I have, right? I can remember instances where my own inclination toward institutionalism has caused me to neglect the needs of others. And I think if we're going to really strive to be Christian as a church... It's important that we're honest about this. We we have to be honest about it. I also think that if you're going to be brutally honest about something and critical of it, you can only do it if you're willing to be part of it. Right? Like, here's the thing. I can be critical about my family. You better not. Does that make sense? But I think that blindness to the institutional failings of the church can cause irreparable harm, and and perhaps as much, or if not more harm, than the failings themselves. Because until until we become mindful of the church's failures, we're going to do nothing to mend them. And what then we end up saying is, no, this is the right way. No, this is okay. It becomes a stamp of approval. I found this this week in a speech to the Witset Society in 1995, a Southern Baptist preacher named Will D. Campbell. Anybody know the? Okay. All right. So he spoke about his history with religious institutions. And this is the quote. I was a pastor, a university chaplain, an employee of the allegedly most free religious institution in the world. I didn't keep any job for long. But through it all, I discovered one thing. All institutions, every last single one of them, are evil. Self-serving, self-preserving, self-loving, and very early in the life of any institution that will exist for its own self. That's uplifting. but we often do what's best for our institutional longevity with little regard for our founding values. Feeding the hungry, befriending the lonely, loving the enemy, healing the sick, visiting the prisoners, helping others know and experience the divine presence. And interestingly enough, if we actually did those things, it would do more to ensure the church's well-being than any of our most astute planning. I was thinking about that divine presence, experiencing that divine presence this morning. And I was talking to John about it. (sighs) I was also thinking, like, I had a dream last night. And I forgot the dream, but I got up this morning and I had a thought. So what does it mean to experience that divine presence? And, and I, I was thinking about that, right? Because like this was, this was like, lang- I don't think we use this language in church anymore, but it really bothered me. It was uh, this idea of seeker sensitive. Do you remember that? Oh, we got to be seeker, seeker-sensitive. Sounds great. Um, but I thought maybe what we should be doing is instead of like, I, I'm not saying don't seek, right? Because I'm, I'm a firm believer that we should be questioning, we should be seeking, uh, we should be engaged in exploration, not indoctrination. Like, I believe all of those things. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that sometimes what we have to do is stop seeking And simply begin, like, how did I I word it this morning, John? You remember it was way better than I'm about to say. Start experiencing. Like, just open yourself up, right? So stop seeking and just sort of step back and feel. All right, so I'm going to try something. It's not going to work as well as if we could all go outside, but that would be weird. Ah, no, I won't do it. All right, but I want you to close your eyes for a moment. Because if you're like me, often my faith is a mental exercise. And to be honest with you, I'm one of those people where they say, like, oh, let's all take our shoes off. We're in holy space. I get like, yeah. Um, But for a moment, just close your eyes. Take a deep breath. And imagine, imagine the sun shining on your face. And you feel that warmth. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like the air's cool, but the sun's warm. And then take your hands and place it on your chest. And do you feel your heartbeat? Take a deep breath. And, And feel that breath go into your lungs. And then listen quietly. Imagine you're still outside in that cool, air but that warm sun and you can hear the breeze going through the leaves of the trees and on the ground and now stretch your imagination just a little bit more and imagine that that warmth that you're feeling is being generated by a God giving you an embrace and imagine that that breath going in and out of your lungs is a spirit moving through your body and And reaching every cell. And the wind that you're hearing is is the breath of the God embracing you. And the beating of your heart is the beating of God's heart. And allow yourself to just be embraced for a moment the divine presence. cool I would encourage you to take some time every now and then to do that in whatever way that works for you but stop seeking for a moment and simply experience experience the divine presence as I was doing that and I just opened my eyes and I looked over there I saw Aaron and I thought that's the kind of thing Aaron would like more than me yeah so there you go What would the church look like if meeting human needs and, and engaging in that divine presence were more important than maintaining institutions? What would it look like? And I, at first I think, well, this is, an easy, like, this is a fun question. Let's just jump into this question. But I think that we have to, um, even though it sounds like it might be a no-brainer, we have to be honest and acknowledge that, that we are part of an institution that was founded as part of a movement. And as an institution, we say things like, right, because think about just the little things that we say. So maybe the first place we can do is just kind of change the way we talk or we think, right? Like, have you ever been in a meeting... And and we'll be like we'll talk about something or we'll be talking about something, and somebody will invariably say something like, "Well, the church is like a business. The church is a business. The church is like, an- I mean, it is another business." But maybe we should just stop saying that. Maybe that'd be a good place to start. We'll just stop saying that. Um, as a movement, we're we're seeking. Right, those transcendently beautiful moments where we're used by God to reach out to others. But I also say, like, it's too easy to simply dismiss institutional maintenance. Right? Just be like, well, we're just we're just going to be all about this, and and we're going to be, you know, it's going to be great. And I have a tendency to roll that way. Um, In fact. Uh, one of Madison's friends one time, she he, he was like, is your dad a hippie? <laughs> it was the best compliment I ever got. Um, not, with that hair. not with this hair. <laughs> Thanks, Corey, because that's not the first time someone's pointed out my hair today. Anyway. And I, I think, the, it, like, we we often even want to, like, demonize a person's efforts. Like, if, if we're not careful, we go so far that we're like, oh, why can't we all just, you know, just, it's all about relate, And it is about relationship. But, I mean, we get so far into it that we're like, oh, I can't believe you care about that, and, and like, you're, you're so evil. And I think that that's, that's not right, right? Because I do think that some sincerely believe institutional maintenance is the proper work and calling of the church. There are people that, that's what they, I mean, that's what they've been brought up to believe, We have to be careful not to look at somebody who's trying to live the way that they've been taught as somehow being evil or less Christian than those of us that have sort of tried to expand or move or, or challenge a little bit, right? Like it's too easy. And we, we have to realize that we're actually all just trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we're in this together, Right? Because because people are just doing what they do because they believe God wants them to. If we could just get there, that might be helpful. It's been like this for so long, we've simply forgotten the institutional church was actually a means, not the end. Our buildings and our finances, they are important. Don't think for a moment, I don't know, that we are currently $91,000 in the red this year. I know it. And I'm not like, woo, it's okay. I think about that. But not because I'm worried about the money, but because I feel like I'm part of a community that has the potential to have a huge impact in Mount Juliet in a positive way. And if we're going to do this, we're going to need money. But the the buildings and the finance, they're, they're only as important to the extent that they contribute to the church's primary mission, right, of seeking transformation, of creating opportunities to experience divine presence and to meet human needs love god love neighbor and and then that reminds me right of our scripture today what mar like have you I've always like Martha gets a bad rap often in, when, when somebody preaches on this, right? But I, I want to defend Martha a little bit. What Martha is doing is important work. But what's happened is she's lost sight that the meal is just a means to an end. The important thing is the relationship that they have with Jesus, the ultimate experience of the divine presence. Right? Right? The dinner and the conversation are both important. But it's about fellowship with Christ. And, and then the author tells us, and that relationship can't be taken away. Right? At the end of the day, the meal's going to be eaten. The, the dishes are going to be washed and put up. But the relationship with Christ remains. The goal of the church is not perpetuation. I'd also argue, if you go back and you read Matthew chapter 25, verse 35, the goal of the institution is not institutional purity. It's not about big buildings and big bank accounts. To be a follower of Jesus is to choose at every ethical crossroads to seek transformation, and to meet human need? What would happen if we approached each decision that we're faced with as a moment where we get to decide what kind of church we want to be? And I've, I've thought about that. I've been thinking about that, right? Like, what need do we see in our community? We can, you know, yes, there's people experiencing homelessness, and yes, there are students who are going to need food, and we're doing these things, and we do these things well. But there's a greater need, I believe. There is a need for a safe place. There is a need for a community, an inclusive community, right? There is, the, the biggest threat that we are facing today is division, is a desire to, dis- to destroy enemy. And it's, and it's not a foreign enemy, right? We are ready to destroy each other. A friend of mine recently said this. He said, it's like the whole world is like, should we have a fight? I think it's time for us to have a fight. Not everybody wants to fight. We have, the, uh, we have the opportunity to be that place. Right? I mean, I wrote this earlier in my own handwriting, and now I can't read it. Hold on a second. Right? We have the, we have the opportunity to be ac- accepting, safe, affirming of all Persons. the, The world, here's the thing I was having a hard time with. There already exists in this world places for people who believe that they have it all together. There's plenty of places like that. There are plenty of places in this world, in this community, for people who believe they have everything figured out. Who their whole world, their whole life is neat and orderly. Everything is in its right place. They have all the right beliefs. They do all of the right things. There are many institutions, there are many places for them. But there's not a whole lot of places for the rest of us who look at our lives and we're like, I'm not sure what I believe. I'm, not sh- I'm a little confused by that. Uh, my life doesn't seem to be turning out the way I thought it would be. I'm doing all the things I was told to do when I was young growing up, and if I did that, that Jesus would bless me, and I'm not feeling real blessed right now. Right? And what they don't need to hear is, well, you just need to pray harder. (laughs) There are places that they can go and they can hear that, and for some, that's great. But there are others that it's like, and you know what? I'm not sure, because what I was taught... And what I've experienced don't seem to line up. And we can be that place, right? Where we're just like, okay. Let's talk about it. You want a cup of coffee? How great would it be if we could be that place where like, oh, you think your life is screwed up? Let me tell you about mine. Because I will tell you this, from experience, misery does love company. But we can be that place, right? Like. Our vision statement is this: an inclusive community committed to loving all people as God intends through helping, healing, and home. If we're going to do that, this facility is important. It is. Our, our financial contributions are important. But more important, the reason, though, the reason those things are important is because of the need, the mission, the opportunity we have to be that place, where we can meet the needs of our neighbors. We can invite people to a place where they can be safe, where they can be who they are and not worry whether or not they're going to be kicked out. We have an opportunity to be the loving divine presence in this world let's keep that first and foremost amen